Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. We all doing good today? Happy October. Isn't that wild? It's October already. Seems like it should not be October, but it is. So, happy fall, happy October. We are, since it's October, we're kicking off a new sermon series, because that's just how we do it. Every new month gets a new sermon series, right? Not all the time, but lots of times. So this month, we're going to be talking about adversity. Everyone's favorite topic, right? Yes, we love it. Uh, and, and actually, I feel like this is a very important sermon series. Um, I, obviously, if it wasn't an important sermon series, hopefully I wouldn't preach on it, right? <laughs> Uh, but I do feel like this is a super important sermon series, so I want to encourage you. Uh, you're not going to hear me say this often because I really, I, I, I try very hard not to boast, right? If I boast, I boast in the Lord, and so sometimes I might, I might take that too far, but I do want to boast in the word that the Lord has given me. So it's not boasting in me, but the word the Lord's given me. Guys, this is stuff that people need to hear. Christians need to hear, so I would encourage you to share this message with the people that you know, with the, the Christ followers you know, with people who need to hear this. Because there's one thing I've noticed in the church, we've hit on it the past couple of sermon series, and you know, there's something in my walk, when I read the word, and God keeps saying the same thing over and over again to me, it usually means, hey Jeremy, you're not getting it. And he, so he keeps saying it until we get it, Right? And so if we're continuing to hit on these same themes in sermon series after sermon series, it means we need this badly. And I think the church overall, a capital C church, needs this message badly right now. Because we need to know as Christians how to walk through adversity. We need that more than maybe anything else. We need to know how to walk through adversity. Because we all know this. But adversity, now listen to this. this, this ought to be a slogan for the military or something. Adversity is the fire that forges us into who we can become. Isn't that fancy? Doesn't that sound like a military slogan or something? But it is, and we know this, right? We know that when we come up against adversity, how we respond to that adversity changes us. And it has the opportunity to turn us either more like Christ or more like not Christ. And so how we respond as Christians is vital. How we respond to adversity in our lives. And when I look at the church landscape, especially the American church, the Western church, I see Christians who run from adversity. Adversity comes, and we spend all of our time and energy begging God to take it away, right? We pray, and we pray, and we pray, Lord, remove this adversity from me. 
and we spend so much time trying to get out of it that we don't realize that it could very well be God who is sending the adversity. That'll push on your theology, right? It could be God who's sending the trials to help us to stop depending on the world and to start depending on him. But we've got to learn how to do this. I'm not saying that adversity, that you should never pray to get out of it. Not saying that. There are times where God calls us to pray for deliverance from things. But there are also times when God tells us to lean into that adversity, to walk through that fire, to weather that storm, because he knows that it's going to strip away the stuff that's making us look more like the world, and on the other side of it, we're going to look more like Jesus. Because if you open up your Bible and you flip through the pages, you will very quickly find that adversity is the promise that no one wants to name and claim. Right? You guys have heard of name it and claim it theology, where you, you, know, you find a promise in Scripture and doggone it, I'm naming it and claiming it. That's my promise right there. How many times have you ever seen somebody run to that passage of Scripture that we just read, right, John 16, 33, and say, I'm naming and claiming this. Jesus says, I'm going to have trouble in this world. I'm standing on that promise. Right? Crickets. Right? We don't claim that. But if you go through Scripture, now I haven't counted, so I don't know the exact number, but if you go through Scripture and you count the promises that God has made, there are a scary number of promises that say, I promise you're going to have trouble in this world. If you go through the New Testament, it's not just New Testament, it's Old Testament too. But God says, you are going to have trouble in this world. And so if that's his promise, we've got to learn how to walk through adversity. If God promises adversity, then there's a reason for it, right? Because God doesn't make empty promises. And so we've got to learn how to walk through it. So this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the promise looking at facing the storm, and then we're going to look at the anchor. Now, I'm always very cautious. Uh, I get a little, little leery when somebody throws out and says, this is the formula for biblical prayer, right? And so, so saying, like, if you do this, that's how you do biblical prayer. I'm always hesitant when somebody says that. I'm going to give you a formula this morning, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm always cautious with formulas, because I've, I've met a lot of people who try to break God down into, okay, A plus B always equals C. So if I do this and this, then God has to do this. I don't know about you guys, but I get a little nervous when I say God has to blank, right? Who am I to tell God what he has to do? So, so formulas, take formulas with a grain of salt. Anytime somebody says, hey, A plus B always equals C, right? Take them with a grain of salt. But I have noticed this formula when the Holy Spirit revealed this to me as I started studying for this sermon series. So these are actually going to be our three main points for the rest of this sermon series. We will, I will not put up another point on there unless the Holy Spirit moves me to put up another point on there. But I just told you, you know, you can't put God in a box, right? So I'm open to it, but we see this consistently when characters in the Bible face adversity. And actually, you're going to notice one of those points up there 
Super, super similar to our sermon from last week, right? Because Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, was Jesus facing adversity in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, lo and behold, he was. So these points still prove true. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this, you know, template, I guess, whatever you want to call it, that Jesus gives us in John 16, but then we're going to jump back to the Old Testament and we're going to look at Old Testament characters who walk through adversity and they follow this format. And because they follow the format, because they trust in their anchor, they make it through the other side of adversity in a godly manner and they glorify God because of it. And that's ultimately what we want to do, right? We want to glorify God with how we suffer for him, how we walk through adversity. And we know that if we do that, if we honor him in everything that we do, if we serve him, if we walk his way, that on the other side of adversity, we're going to look more like Jesus. So first, let's look at the promise. Jesus promises us that we will face adversity. In John 16, he says, "'These things I have spoken to you "'so that in me you may have peace.'" In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now your name it and claim it theologians, they love reading really, really fast. You guys ever do that? You don't do that, right? Just Jeremy, I'm the only one that does it. When you read through the Bible, you get to a part that really makes you feel uncomfortable and convicts you, so you just read it really fast to get to the part that you do like, that makes you feel good about yourself, right? So, we have a tendency to do that with this verse. We love the second part. Take courage, I have overcome the world. And so we name it and claim that. But that's not the promise, is it? It's not. The promise is, in the world, you have tribulation. Life is not going to be easy, and it's not supposed to be. In fact, I would challenge you. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you. If you look around your life and notice, man, this thing's a cakewalk. I got this down, cruising on easy street, no troubles coming my way. I'm comfortable, I'm happy, I'm healthy. This is wonderful. God's blessings, 10,000 aside, right? Look around and make sure you're not cruising down easy street by yourself. Because sometimes as Christians, we get convinced, you know, Jeremy does all the right things. God has to bless me, right? Jeremy's a good boy. God has to bless me. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? That's not what he's saying here. In this world, you will have trouble. He makes it pretty clear. And he actually continues, if you don't like this Bible verse, let's jump a little earlier to what Jesus says in John. In John 15, 18 through 20, this kind of takes the black and white, or the gray, out of it and leaves it pretty black and white. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? 
I think the problem that we have today in the church is we have a lot of Christians who are trying to straddle that fence. We're convinced, you know, if we just sit on it, you know, I, I, want, the, I want the world to love me because I want, them, I want the world to accept the gospel, right? If the world accepts me, they'll accept Jesus. It's the lie that Christians fall into, right? If I make myself palatable to the world, if I dumb down my holiness and I walk like the world, then they'll hear my message clearly. And that's not actually, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Come on, guys, I've, I've been there. I've said that lie. That's not actually what's going on. What's actually going on is I don't want to stop sinning. I don't want to turn from my ways and turn completely to God's. And so I convince myself, you know, I can, I can do both. I can live in both worlds, right? I can have people love me, and people love that. There's that verse. I've, I've had, you know, friends that name and claim this verse, but they love that passage where it says, and Jesus grew in the favor of God and of men, right? And they convince themselves, we convince ourselves, I can live in both worlds. The world can love me, and Jesus can love me but not too much Jesus, because I still want that promotion. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says you have a choice. And ladies and gentlemen, can I warn you, if you are walking that tightrope, if you're living on that fence right now, there always comes a moment. Do you know why there always comes a moment? Because God is good. But he always makes you choose. There will come a moment. And you will have to choose, do you want the favor of men or do you want the favor of God? He will always make you choose. And that choice will dictate what happens next. Because Jesus said, if you choose me, you will have trouble. You can choose men. You, you can choose to be of the world and it'll be easy. And I think there's a lot of Christians, a lot of churches choosing the way of the world right now. And you can tell because it's easy. There's no reason to persecute them, right? They're not saying anything that ruffles any feathers. But if you choose the way of Jesus, well, okay, somebody says, John's, John's just, he's just a cynic. He's just a negative Nancy. You've used two passages from John. Okay, how about Matthew? Do you trust him more? You will be hated by all because of my name. That's much better. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. This just keeps getting better and better. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. These are Jesus' words, y'all. You go in your Bible. If your Bible does Jesus' words in red, you know. These are the red words. This is Jesus talking here, but it doesn't end with him because, this is going to shock some of you, Jesus' disciples taught the same thing Jesus did. Isn't that an interesting concept? Be a disciple of Jesus, teach the same things Jesus did. It's interesting. Look at this from Paul. Paul writes this to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 2 Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be 
persecuted. I could go on and on and on. We could stay here until 4 o'clock tonight, and I could give you every scripture reference in the New Testament, every scripture reference in the Old Testament that tells you, if you want to live holy like God, which is what we're called to do, that's what God calls us to, be holy because I am holy. If we're called to live holy like him, if we walk in that, people won't like it. We talked about this, right, when we talked about contrition. It rubs people the wrong way. When you live righteous in an unrighteous world, that righteousness grates on people because every day they come in contact with you, they're reminded, I'm not living up to that standard and it bothers me. I want you to be miserable like me, right? Misery loves company. Sin's the same way. Sin loves company. And so people try to get you to fall into it with them. Come on, it's not that bad. Come on. And they try to trip you up. But the Bible doesn't leave any room for it. It says, if you follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. See, so many churches, too many churches, teach that following Jesus is all fun and games, right? We have a great time when we follow Jesus. We get to play cornhole together and all that stuff. I'm not saying cornhole's bad. Please don't walk away thinking that. I love cornhole. I'm terrible at it, but I love it. But that's what we boil Christianity down to, right? We spend more time playing cornhole than we do in the Word. And that's not what the Bible says. The real promise of the real gospel says that we will experience suffering, that we will experience tribulation. The world is hurting right now. And ladies and gentlemen, the reason I think this is such an important issue is because there are people who walk away from the faith because of this stuff, right? Because you've got this false gospel out there that says, if Jeremy's a good boy, all things are going to come to him, pressed down, shaken, overflowing. That's what the Word of God says, right? And it does. That's the promise. But then I am a good boy, and I do all the right things. And my grandmother still dies from cancer. And my child is taken away from me at an early age. And you name it, adversity hits. Hold on a second. This pastor told me that if I walk with Jesus, I'm immune to that stuff. Right? Psalm 91. The enemy can't come up to my gate. I am protected from this stuff. I named it and claimed it. But it didn't happen. Because God doesn't promise that everything you name and claim in here is going to come. Now look, it's in God's word, right? Which means we can claim the promises of Christ, but those promises have an eternal perspective. And they're, Christian, if you're in Christ Jesus, guess what? There's going to come a day. Suffering cannot come to your door, right? But it's not here. 
Jesus will sometimes heal you from death. This is a Tim Keller quote. But he will always heal you through death. Our problem is we view this world, we view this temporal moment as all there is, even as Christians. And the Western church isn't doing anything to break us of that thought process. We put so much stock in right here, right now, when this book and all of its promises put all of its stock in this next life, in eternity with Christ Jesus. That's what all these promises are about. So yes, sometimes the healing is for right now, but our ultimate goal is God and to be with him for eternity. And we've got to keep that in mind. The fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, right? Is he yours? You call yourself a disciple of Jesus. That the first time they used that word that, the, of Christian, right? It meant little Jesuses, mini Jesuses, because all of Jesus' followers are, you know, we're following Jesus. But if we're following Jesus, we've got to do the things that he did, right? We talked about that the past two weeks. Jesus walked this earth and was 100% dependent upon the Father and Holy Spirit, right? He didn't do a single thing, not a single thing, without hearing the Father say it, without seeing the Spirit do it. That's how Jesus did it. If we call ourselves Christians, his disciples, his followers, we are to do the same thing. The next week we talked about obedience. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. If we call ourselves Christians, we are to do the same thing. Jesus Christ was crucified. Crucified because of the way he lived and the things that he taught. They killed him. Yet we as Christians think that we're immune to it. Right? Persecution can't come to my door if it came to your Lord and Savior's and you are called to walk like him why do you think you're immune to it, right? If they crucified our Savior and we are called to be like him. The, the, the other option is you're not actually teaching the things that he taught or living the way that he lived. Because if you live the way he lived and taught the things he taught, they will come for you. It's only a matter of time. And this turns us to our next point. It's the same point we had last week. Facing the storm. And this is why it's so important that we don't fall into this trap that there's no persecution for us. That if we follow Jesus, it's all sunshine and rainbows and nothing's ever going to be difficult. Because here's the problem. We've got the church today. We talked last week about how you know, lots of people face the wrong storms, right? We, we fight the wrong fights. We don't ask God, hey God, what, what fight should I be fighting? We just go off and fight our own, like, oh yeah, of course Jesus agrees with this. It's, you know, that's what I think. Who cares what you think? Did God tell you to fight the fight or not? And we end up facing the wrong storm, right? But the problem is we have an entire world right now, an entire church that is teaching that there is no storm, Right? Oh, nothing's, nothing's ever going to be hard. You just claim those promises and it's all going to be easy and nothing's ever going to be difficult. Not just face the wrong storm. There is no storm. 
right? But Jesus knew that was false. So when the soldiers came and it was time for the cross, what did Jesus do? He faced the storm, right? Because he knew it was coming. That's why this lie is so dangerous. Because we pacify ourselves and we're not ready to fight. We let down our guard. We get comfortable. But there's a storm raging around us with eternal consequences. And we find ourselves like the disciples sleeping through it. We've got to wake up. This is exactly what Jesus tells us. He says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have tribulation, but take courage. Take courage. Face the storm, not like a coward, but with courage. I've always found this interesting. Did you know that there are 365 uses in the Bible that tell us not to be afraid? 365. Now, some of you need this. I'm really smart, so I'm going to help you. Here's the math on that. That's one Bible verse each day. 365 days a year, right? 365 verses. You got it? You see how that? Yep. One Bible verse a day to remind you, do not be afraid. Right? Look at God, the OG on daily devotionals, right? He wasn't trying to sell them, though, so I guess nobody bought them. But one over a hundred times, now some of these probably overlap, but over a hundred times, it doesn't just tell us not to be afraid, but it tells us to take courage, to be courageous, right? Over and over again. Again, let's jump back to Paul's advice to Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy 1, 7 to 8. Now, some of us will recognize this one. If you don't know it right off the bat from the reference, you'll recognize this. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Some translations say a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, see, we got a lot of Christians who love that first verse, right? We love verse 7. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power. Come on, somebody. Right? And then we stop. Right? Because that's the part we like. And then we forget. And listen, y'all, this is ridiculous. This is absolute ridiculous. Because what we have is we've got these guys running, and girls, girls do it too. Girls, you're not, you're not immune to this. Running around, these Christians running around, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power. I'm going to go sit on my couch and watch the chosen. Oh, I love this power working in me. Right? God has given us a spirit of power, not of fear, to go sit on our couches and enjoy Christian entertainment. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, we know how ridiculous that sounds, right? But yet, that's exactly what we do with it. Well, I'm just going to hunker down and shelter and live a, in a monastery and be a monk and never touch the outside world, and then away with Jesus we go, and that's it. But if we're given a spirit of power, 
right? The very power of God living inside of us. Don't you think the expectation would be that we use that power for something? That we do something with it? I don't know. We've talked about, I've used this illustration before, but you know, it's always annoying when you give somebody a gift. Like you give somebody a gift card, and then like years later, you find out like, dude, you never used the gift card I gave you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just, I never make it to that restaurant. Well, give it back. Come on, like, I'll, I'll go eat at Olive Garden, right? It kind of cheeses you off a little bit. Like, I'm giving you a gift. Use the gift. So how much more so you think God's up in heaven? Like, what are you knuckleheads doing? I gave you a gift. Stop sitting at home and watching TV. Get out on the streets and tell people how good I am. If that's not what he's called you to do, like, I'm not telling you all to go out and be evangelists, but do what he's told you to do, right? But we've got so many people running around doing their own thing. The whole reason that Paul even tells Timothy this, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, is because Paul knows. Paul's walking it, right? Paul knows with this suffering, or I'm sorry, with this obedience to God comes adversity, comes suffering. I'm telling you that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear because you are going to be afraid. I'm telling you that God has given you a spirit of power because you are going to need power because there is a storm that is very real that you need to face. But see, we have a problem of facing the wrong storms. See, and it's interesting to me because when you look at it, we will go through adversity for all the wrong things. Right? I think sometimes because it's easier. Right? Christians, we, look, we'll, we'll put up our dukes and fight over denominations. Right? You know, you Catholic or Protestant, let's fight about it, right? Well, my denomination's right, because we baptize full submersion and don't just sprinkle water on people. That's how we do it, and we're right, and we'll have wars about it, right? Calvinism, Arminianism, whatever split you want to do, non-denominational, denominational, whatever it is, and we will fight about it. Look at our, your friend group. How quick are you to fight for your friends, Right? Oh, so-and-so said this on Facebook about my friend. No, she didn't. You don't know me. I'm coming, girl. See what she thinks about that, right? Politics. We fight those wars. Gender, sexuality, music preference, sports team. The list goes on and on and on. And as you continue to name off the things that we are willing to fight about, it gets pettier and pettier and pettier. But we refuse to be persecuted because we look like Jesus. Anytime we get a sniff of it, anytime we cry out, the church has gotten really good at crying persecution today for things that I don't know if it would even register on the persecution radar in the New Testament. Right? 
But guys, look at, look at, look at your Savior. Look at Jesus. This is not how the Bible ever instructs us to face persecution. When Jesus faced persecution, and Jesus faced persecution, right? Even mild persecution, where the Pharisees and Sadducees are ready to throw stones at him, or tearing him down, or mocking him. Jesus never complained. He never cried out. He never said, God, this is unfair. Why don't people like me? Because Jesus knew that that was what was coming, right? He expected it, so he faced the storm with courage. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Not cry about it, not complain about it, but face the storm with courage. Because, and this is what it all comes down to, we face the storm with courage because ultimately we trust in our anchor. And the level to which you face the storm with courage, the level to which you refuse to complain and you just set your face against it, is the exact level to which you trust your anchor. And Jesus gives us an incredible anchor. In our scripture passage from today in verse 33, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And this isn't the only place we get this promise. The book of Revelation, I love the book of Re Revelation. I think lots of times we turn the book into Re of Revelation into something that it was never really meant to be. Right? We, so we get super into, you know, the timelines and the controversies and, you know, all the conspiracy theories out there and all that stuff. And, you know, you heard the saying, you know, don't lose the forest in the trees. Right? You don't, don't miss the big picture for the small details. And so many times with the book of Revelation, we get so hung up on these small details. Was it pre-rapture, pre post-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation, like all this stuff? But we miss the big thing. In the book of Revelation, and other books too, it's not, Revelation's not the only one, but in the book of Revelation, we, we got the cliff notes to mankind's history, right? And we get to skip ahead to the very end, and we get to see how it ends. God tells us how it all ends. And this is what he says in Revelation 3.21, He who overcomes... I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus overcame. So anyone who follows him, who trusts in him, also overcomes. He continues this in Revelation 12, 11. This is one of my favorite half-quoted verses that people love to pull out. And they overcome because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony. And that's where most people stop. But John continues, And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. But see, that doesn't fit with our Western name and claim it theology, does it? Right? Because we love this life. And if we're being really honest... Our theology is really catered to making this life easy. 
That's what following Jesus is about in the Western church. How can we make this life easy? But that's not what Jesus says. He says that we overcome because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of our testimony, but also because we do not love this life. And we are willing to lay this life down and trade it for a life of eternity with him. That's how we overcome. we got to be very careful here, because that's actually where a lot of people will stop the sermon, right? We just end it there. There's a you know, Hobby Lobby, uh, Joshua 1.9, right, where God tells the Israelites, Be courageous, and str- or be strong and courageous. Do not tremble in fear, right? And we end it there. Yeah, that's great. And people who have been Christians for a long time are like, yeah, I know, I got this. But, but here's the thing, Christian, listen to new Christians, right? When a discipling relationship is a two-way street, right? When we disciple with each other, it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. If you've been walking with Jesus one day, if, you don't, if you're not even in Jesus, Christian, there are, there's a ton of stuff that we can learn from unbelievers, Sometimes as Christians, we get so into our Christian rut, right? We've been walking the same path for such a long time. You know how when like, you walk in the grass, it starts to wear the trail, right? We get into this rut, and all of a sudden the ground's up here, and we're still walking in our rut. But we look around, and all we can see is Christian stuff, right? And then you get a new Christian who comes around and says, wait a minute, how does that work? And we're so stuck in our Christian rut that we're like, what are you talking about? Don't ask questions, it just works, right? We give them the holy stiff arm of holiness, right? You don't ask questions in church, how dare you? Christians don't ask questions. Have you read the book of Job? It's in the Bible, y'all. Christians ask questions. But so many times we push people away because they ask us questions that challenge us. And make us think like, oh, maybe I've been doing that wrong this whole time. But this is one of those points. Because so many times, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. Yeah. But people who are new to the faith will say, well, yeah, but how am I supposed to do that? And we think, oh, yeah. I've been walking this for such a long time. I forgot. There's a whole other sentence on the end of that verse from Joshua. For the Lord is with you wherever you go. The most important part of that passage, right? But we forget it. We get so caught up in the overcoming, right? Victorious warriors, yeah! That's what I'm talking about, Jesus Let's chop some heads off and be victorious. That we forget. That's not the anchor. It starts to get our eyes up on the horizon, but Jesus overcoming isn't the anchor, y'all. Well, so what's the anchor? I cheated a little bit because we're using that passage from John 16, 33, but Jesus actually drops the anchor before that. It was in our reading from today. But here it is in verse 32. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. 
What's the anchor that Jesus drops? What's the anchor that we are supposed to drop? Three words. God with us. It's a very popular theme come Christmas time, right? Because at Christmas we sing Emmanuel, right? And then we forget it every other season of the year. But guys, God doesn't stop being with us just because it's not Christmas anymore, right? Emmanuel is a name that the Old Testament gives us, a, a prophetic name of who Jesus came to be, and it literally means God with us. Jesus could bear the adversity of the cross because he knew the Father was with him. So how do we bear adversity in this world? I'm going to give you something here. I know I've railed against it the whole time. But I'm going to give you a Bible verse, Bible passage that you can name and claim. All right, you name it and claim it, theologians. I'm going to give you one. There's a couple of them. But this is one you can name it and claim it whenever you want. All right? You don't even have to ask God's permission beforehand to name it and claim it. That's how, that's how bold this one is. All right? And here it is, Isaiah 43, 1 through 2. But now thus says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. This is your anchor, Christian. This is your anchor through any and all adversity. And Jesus Christ came to drive that anchor even deeper down into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, into your strength, into the very core of who you are. He shed his blood to redeem you. He called you by name. You are his. No one can take you out of his hand. Jesus Christ paid so high a price to make sure of that. You are his. Never forget that. Why are we not to fear? Not because Jesus overcame, but because you are his and he is with you. Guys, wrap your minds around this. God Almighty has called you by name. He knows everything about you the worst that you have ever done, the worst that you have ever been, the worst that you will be. He sees it all and he knows it and he still chooses to set his undivided affection on you and says that he will never run away. He loves you. He gave his life for you. The promise is not that storms will not come. The promise is quite the opposite, right? Storms will come. Fires will come. Rivers will rise. The promise is that He will be with you in the midst of it all. That no matter what comes, 
he will be with you and that you will come out the other side of it because you are with him, whether that's on this earth or whether that's in eternity. But you will come out the other side. And when you do, you will look just like him. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of everything that he has done. We're going to take communion this morning to anchor this even deeper. Because Jesus Christ paid such a high price to claim us from sin and death. Uh, did everybody get a little juice and cup thing? I didn't get one. Way to go, Jeremy. Forgot your own. Make sure everybody's got one here. Is there anybody else that needs one? I think we're good. All right. So let's take communion together. And let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Church, the body of Christ broken for you. And on that same night, Jesus took the cup. And after they had prayed and blessed it, he said, this is my blood poured out for all mankind. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Church, this is the blood of Jesus poured out for you to buy you back, for God to claim you to once and for all say, you are mine. Because of this blood, he is with you, now and forever. Church, the juice which represents the blood of Christ. Amen. This is going to be a fun sermon series, y'all. <laughs> Not because it's popular, or fun, or nice, but because it's going to be real. And because by applying what the gospel really teaches us about adversity, we as a body of believers are going to look more like Jesus. We will be able to walk through any storm that this life throws at us. And even better, we will be able to walk with others through any storm that life throws at them because we see how perfectly Jesus walks with us. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.